Hi, I'm Hal Newman, class of 1985, and you're watching Dingo Talk. What's going on, Chuckleheads? I am Carla Guadagnino. This is the Dingo Talk Alumni Tour. My guest this week, Hal Newman, class of 1985. Hal, thank you very much for joining us. Hey, thank you. This is very cool. So, and you're joining us from Quebec, correct? Absolutely. Shefford, Quebec. So we're going to do this the same way we do every week. And your story is a little interesting because you graduated in, you graduated high school in 1977, but you took, you, it took, you took a different route to come to college. So what did you do from 77 to 81? Yeah, I just, and I just barely graduated high school. And I'm fairly certain that they yelled good riddance. Um, <laughs> gave you a bon voyage for the way out the door. Yeah. I, I actually, you know, it's a story in the, in the family that I graduated high school on a computer error. So um, you needed a 60 and I got a 59, but they, they were quite happy to get me out of there. Uh, I, I uh, became a firefighter uh, as soon as I turned 18. And then I uh, became a paramedic the following year. I worked as a paramedic firefighter in uh, Montreal. And then uh, I promised my folks that I would uh, pursue college education as a plan B. And I uh, came from a family of, uh, of, of writers and artists. So uh, I applied to different schools and, uh, <laughs> and somewhat accidentally got into Bethany. Now, is there a letter of recommendation from uh, Governor Arch Moore thrown in there during your time coming to Bethany or is that post Bethany? Uh, yeah, no, that was uh, during my time in, in Bethany. Um, I was a firefighter medic in Bethany. Uh, absolutely adored it. Um, got to work with, it, 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 was, it was really cool actually, you know, coming from a big city, big city paramedic firefighter, thought I knew it all, I was really, really cocky, um, extremely arrogant, uh, walked into the little town uh, fire hall, and then, you know, they have to take a vote to see if they're going to let you into the fire service. And uh, they, they invited me to join the fire department and I quickly got humbled. Um, yeah, you know, they, there's, you know, Bethany at the time. So, you know, 81, it was, uh, it was very different. Uh, the area around Bethany, uh, was, there was a tremendous amount of uh, poverty. Um, socioeconomics were really, really rugged. Uh, that was the time when the steel mills were closing. So uh, Black Friday, uh, when they shut down uh, Weirton Steel, that was all in that era. And, uh, you know, we'd go to calls and, and uh, you know, there was abject poverty, uh, stuff that I'd never seen in Montreal, like not in the worst parts of Montreal, you know, di different systems, right? So mm -hmm. in Quebec, you know, the, it's, it's um, much more social oriented, and so there's a safety net. So if you, once you fall, you fall a bit and you're caught in a safety net and, and you, you, you know, you can still fall through the cracks, but you, you get stopped and, and there's community support. And at that time, uh, especially in Brook County, you could fall through the cracks and you'd be in an abyss. Mm -hmm. And uh, I go out on calls with, uh, you know, partners were locals. And uh, I, I remember one call in particular going to a house and it took us a long time to get out there. And when we got out there and, and Ray, uh, Ray Mitchell was my partner and 
he had warned me ahead of time, you know, wear my best poker face because these people are going through a hell of a time. And when we got out there, they didn't have running water. Uh, it wasn't electricity. They were uh, heating with wood. There was a goat in the house. Um, there's, it was just bedlam, you know? And, mm -hmm. and I remember in my head going like, holy shit, like, what am I doing here? And uh, a woman had hurt her shoulder and her husband was, I think, a vet and was disabled. Okay. And it turned out that, she, and Ray just pulled up a chair and listened to her. And he told me to go around and clean up and get firewood for them. And, and then the story was uh, afterwards was that she had hurt her shoulder splitting firewood because her husband couldn't. And, uh, you know, and they were doing their best. And I, I remember being very overwhelmed coming back from that call and thinking, ooh, and you thought you knew everything. And then you got here and now you're learning. And uh, yeah, and then, um, you know, going from Bethany to Wheeling to OVMC, it's a long ride. And uh, in Montreal, when you're working as a paramedic, you pick people up, you go to the hospital when you're, you know, in the transport phase and it's only five, 10 minutes max. Mm -hmm. Bethany is 45 minutes out at the time. Uh, so you, you better learn how to listen. <laughs> better learn how to ask questions. How's your kid doing in middle school? And then, you know, you become part of the town. Anyway, yeah. sorry, long, long story, but uh, so, and then some, yeah, somewhere in there, I got a recommendation for March Moore. So in 1981, you come to Bethany and were you always, because you graduated with a comm degree, was that what you were coming to Bethany for? Is that, was that the yeah, fallback I, plan? I, yeah, I wanted to be a journalist. And uh, and to be honest, Bethany was my third choice. University of Texas at Austin was my first my first choice. Um, uh, University of Missouri at Columbia, and then uh, so Bethany was actually fourth, and then Colgate, and then Bethany, and then uh, UT Austin. They were like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, we don't think so. Um, and, <laughs> Thank you for uh, applying. Yeah, no, I don't even think we got that far. Thanks. Um, <laughs> I think we did. I did a visit, um, and actually, and, and there's a cool punchline to that. I, I did a visit. Uh, I had a wonderful time. Uh, I had friends who lived there, and uh, and then Bethany, you know, invited me for like an orientation weekend ahead of time to come visit. I hung out with uh, the the late great um, Ace uh, Ace Hayward uh, and Billy D, and uh, so I. I can only assume that that people thought that Montreal was a suburb of Toronto because our entire soccer team was out of Toronto. And I think that they confused Montreal with Mississauga. And Bethany gave me a very nice acceptance, probably. And JC was probably thinking, this is great. I got another soccer player. Of course, I didn't play soccer. And then, <laughs> uh, and then after I got to Bethany, I got an acceptance letter from UT Austin. But there you go. So once you get the, you got the acceptance letter from UT Austin, you had already decided you were going I to was, Bethany. Yeah, I was going to Bethany and that was that. So what, can I ask what, so what was the selling, what sold you when you got to Bethany? Was it the, the, the generous <laughs> um, acceptance or was there something about the place? No, I loved the place and I loved, uh, it was funny. So I stayed down at, uh, I don't think it exists anymore, at Kappa Alpha, yeah. uh, K-8 house. And um, I just love the place. I love that you could cross campus. What struck me was that everybody knew one another, which was just 
wild. And uh, students actually talk to faculty, what a concept. Because don't forget, you know, my first choice was UT Austin, which would have meant like classes with, you know, hundreds of people in them. And, and here we're walking across this idyllic campus. And, you know, faculty are talking to the students. Uh, there's this great camaraderie. Um, it was a zero bullshit zone. Uh, I also loved, don't forget, 81, 85. For me, it was a destination. Like I wasn't going to commute. So I, I was going to come in, set up shop and, and live there. And I, I just loved that it was isolated. So it, it assured me that because um, I was, quote unquote, a, <laughs> I was going to say I was a mature learner, but there was nothing mature about me, but I was a mature learner. Um, and and I, I was concerned about like, you know, how would I would fare going back to you, going back to college or going to college. Um, so yeah. So, so you, go ahead, sorry. So you come in as a comm, you want to come in, you, you're, you come in, you want to be a journalist as a comm major, but you also finish with a minor in political science and I believe public oh, administration. Now, what led you? What led you down that path? Was it the class work that you took, or you were interested in that side of? Oh, it was. It was uh, some of our profs were just amazing in poli sci. I was always a political junkie and still am. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I we talked a little bit, and and uh, so I, I still have some close friends. Uh, that well, it's that that's part of the Bethany experience, right? I'm still connected to the people I went to college with, which is just pretty insane mm -hmm. um and, and we talk politics and uh you know and so one of my friends out of bethany who i'm still tight with is uh, joe doherty we've got diverging views but you know it's that commonality of bethany experience and so that um yeah i just love uh talking politics i love that bethany was a place where i could learn about uh, the american constitution uh, it, it's really a neat place when you're a Canadian, you want to learn as much about America. And then that, you know, that served me very well. So, well, so, and it's, I want to kind of hone in on that real quick. You, so you said that you, you differ with Joe in your political views, but that part of that being that friendship that was built is you respect each other enough to not end a friendship over having a differing of opinion. You understand that that's part of that conversation is that yeah. you're not going to agree with every opinion that everybody has. <clears throat> yeah, it, 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 although, although there, there have been friendships that have gotten pretty frayed uh, through Bethany, through, uh, through politics. Mm -hmm. But uh, with Joe and I, so much so that uh, it's funny, it just coincidentally, um, my wife and I and, and Joe and his wife, we, we ended up in, uh, in Kennebunk, Maine at the same time. And so uh, we wandered over to the Bush uh, compound and uh, it was just really cool. It's like, you know, there, it's this, you know, uh, a piece of American history. Uh, and, and so, yeah, here we are, we're like, Joe's quite conservative. Um, I, I lean, you know, I, I'm from Quebec, so I, I'm leaning left. I mean, I'm already leaning left and, and uh, um, yeah, it's just, it's cool. So <clears throat> during your Bethany experience, you already talked about a little bit about the professors. What was the academic standard? Because you, you, you said at the beginning, you might maybe weren't the strongest student coming out of high school. 
what was were there any difficulties when you came in with the with the course loads or the the what was expected of you no actually and i i found out I, it's funny i've often said that life began after i got out of high school and um and bethany just turned me on to so the coolest thing the thing that i really learned at bethany was i learned how to learn mm -hmm. and um and, and bethany really gave me the freedom to to learn how to learn and i ended up actually in honors english with larry grimes sitting on i don't know if you've heard these stories but so we would have uh, one of our classes I'm wanting to say it was like Thursday afternoons, we would meet in their living room mm -hmm. of his house and we would sit on the floor and his, and his wife would make zucchini bread and we would munch out and have our class on in the living room. What, you know, it was just- Where else are you gonna do that? Yeah, what a trip of an experience. And, and actually my, to my surprise, my grades were pretty good. So what the, what, what move past the academics for a second, social aspect. What was the, so, did you get involved in any clubs? I know you were a Kalon scholar and you were very involved in WVBC and we'll cover those, but I know, or I don't know, were, did you get involved in Greek life? Did you get involved with any, um, any of the other clubs that are on campus or any of the athletic teams that are on campus? I played lacrosse, not, not extremely well. <laughs> extremely not very well um but it, but it was a blast and it was a club at the time uh, i played some hockey i absolutely sucked at it i i yeah betrayed my country and and my uh my upbringing and uh, i was just gonna ask you how does that go because as a canadian i feel like you guys are born with a hockey puck next to you and a yeah, yeah you know what? I, it was funny i played until i was uh probably 14 and then uh i i stopped and and uh yeah no <laughs> um no um, <laughs> just no yeah just no just no on multiple levels um i think i was a practice keeper every so often for soccer i seem to remember getting my my face smacked out a few times so jc uh, did get a soccer player from right, Quebec. Um, yeah. um and i i did one year as a trainer for the women's soccer it, it started as a soccer club at the time um and that was a blast i did vbc uh renner union was mm -hmm. heavily heavily involved in renner union and music programming and um and then i, I socially I, I guess i was a bit of a shit disturber and uh i was into music and and into organizing parties and um not a bad thing to have at a small school like this and so, yeah, some of them were inappropriately themed, you know, come as your favorite dead celebrity uh, parties, stuff like that. But, um, and yeah, and, and uh, to my fellow denizens of the, uh, of Overflow, uh, they'll, they'll remember the infamous Apocalypse Now evening. Um, yeah. So oh, and, and Greek life you were asking about. I, so I, I briefly pledged uh, FITA, mm -hmm. um, but then they had the whole initiation thing going on. And, and uh, it's just, I, I, it, I, again, having worked as a medic firefighter and working with a, you know, in a station in a, in a, where, we, where there's no initiation, where you, you know, you're part of a, a, a work family 
mm-hmm. and it's really, really rugged. And then, you know, there's some guy like yelling at me that I need to go outside in the rain and do push-ups. I'm like, yeah, fuck off. Um, so, <laughs> uh, but I'm still tight with a lot of those guys and they, they always treated me like an honorary uh, member. And then back in, so when I was a freshman, uh, SAE still existed. Okay. I think they got turf that year or a year after, but they had some wicked, wicked parties. Now, Greek life for you, because it's different, right? It's different coming from, from Canada and, and, and the United States. You know, in the United States, we got the animal house, and that's the image that everybody has of what fraternity life was like. Were you coming in knowing what, like, that you were maybe interested, or was that just a, I'm going to try it out because I'm here? Yeah, I was just going to try it out because I was there, because I had no idea what it was, actually. So, you know, uh, okay. funny, when I, when I went to visit at UT Austin, they, they, I didn't see any of the frat houses, but they, they drove me down this road where there were these enormous sorority mansions. And I was like, you know, what the hell is this? Um, but yeah, so I tried it out, and, and I, I absolutely, uh, I love my life as, a, as an independent, in Bethany, uh, I lived uh, in a place called the M, which uh, which we were our own uh, eclectic gang of. We were kind of like the mutts. It was great. We we were uh, there were a whole lot of footballers mm-hmm. in there, so a whole lot of athletes and a whole lot of not athletes, and we all coexisted. And then uh, from there, we migrated up the hill to live in Flow Overflow, which I think. It, and in my in my senior year, I think that the school had came up with the insane idea that they were going to call it Heritage House, which uh, then, of course, rapidly became Heretic House, and um, and just remained the flow. And the flow was like legendary. Like we had the denizens of the flow, the the people that I got to hang with. There was just some amazing people, and just a. It's funny because it was called the overflow. It was just like this wild flow of people. So it worked both ways. It was overflow, but it was also the vibe and the flow of people was yeah, just it was perfect. Just really cool. It was a really cool place to call home. So and you said you were very you're you're into music. You were you were into music when you were when you were at Bethany. Uh, any concerts that come out that stand out to you from your time? <laughs> there were, uh, we had some pretty good shows. We had the Ramones in. That was pretty cool. Um, Stevie Forbert. Jeez, uh, a lot. Um, yeah. So a, then, a lot of really cool shows. How do you? Let's go the Kalon route first. How do you qualify for the Kalon scholarship? Yeah, they, you know that was the biggest surprise in the whole world, man. <laughs> Well, it's for it's also it's not just academic it's also for the people that don't know Kalon is also given to people that do a lot of community service that are that give back to the communities you clearly four years of being a firefighter in Montreal and then coming to Bethany and immediately one of your first moves seems like was I'm going to get involved with the fire department here uh you think that played into it I'm sure because I I, I wasn't I mean I you know, I wasn't a stellar academic. I did, I did okay. I did well. Uh, I think that uh, some of some of the faculty, uh, I'm sure, were instrumental in in nominating me based on commu- service to community and leadership. But 
I really feel like, you know, if you if you go to a college like uh, if you go to college anywhere, but if whatever community you call home, you have an obligation to give back to your community. You know, um, Bob Brosh, who was one of my classmates, he organized a group of us to go up to Wheeling and do community service on weekends. Mm-hmm. Um, there was always that, that was part of the Bethany model, actually. That was uh, a big attractor for me was that the, the, the Bethany model was this idea that uh, equal to your learning and education was that you had to give back. You had to be part of the community. It's funny when I left Bethany, I always, I've always had that notion that, uh, you know, get involved, build community. Um, yeah, and and I, I, I'm sure I was community minded before, but that was really strengthened there. So, and, and, and sorry, I, when they named me at, at commencement and they, they they were going down the Kalon list, it was a complete shock to me. And uh, I remember sitting in my chair thinking. Someone just screwed that up. Um, <laughs> wait, wait, did you guys mean to? Yeah, I'm, I'm like, I was like, that's weird, man. I think I'm the only Hal Newman. So yeah, that's probably me. That's my name there in the program. Hey, can I speak oh. to someone? Did you guys, uh, yeah, this isn't hell? funny if it's not real. It, it was really sweet, but yeah, uh, so, I'm sure it was, go ahead. Well, and then, you know, your your, w, your your WVBC experience, there's a outstanding service award there in your in your senior year. And, um, you know, I, I, I as a communications major that graduated, you know, I, I worked at WVBC. I did channel channel 14, channel three, I think was at the time. Um, never got really into the tower. But what went into your WVBC experience? And I loved VBC. I, was, I, I wrote for the tower, I wrote a column, but I loved VBC. Uh, VBC gave me an enormous amount of freedom. I've got a great story for you about VBC, <laughs> hang on a sec. Um, but it gave me great uh, freedom. And at the time we had uh, some amazing music programmers. Uh, we had uh, Marie Zuberbuehler, Marie, Zuberbuehler uh, Marie Z basically, who is now Marie de Paris, and she, she was just amazing in terms of, uh, you know, going to CMJ and uh, and bringing in emerging artists. Uh, so we were doing really cutting edge music for a college radio station. And um, yeah, when I started at VVC, the, the my initiation to radio in, in Bethany is that uh, they gave me a Sunday slot. And uh, so my deal was I would play, come in Sunday morning and I would play big band jazz and that would lead into church service that would that was remote broadcast mm-hmm. on, on VBC. You know, I'm a Jewish guy from Montreal. And, uh, and, and so the, the church is mic'd, right? And I, I said, well, how do I know when it's over? And they said, and I said, well, you'll hear people get up. And so I said, okay, no problem. So I played my jazz and and uh, and then church service went on and, I, and well, people got up to take communion, but I figured that was the end. So I just sagged right into jazz and, uh, and, and we got a whole lot of complaints because uh, apparently people listened. Uh, <laughs> when, and they were very upset. So when students great. might not realize now, even, I mean, I, I'm kind of, I was one of the last groups that, that had it, your, your VBC, is still the tower where you can reach it. It's reaching all the way to Steubenville and Weirton and 
Wells right, right. So, so, so yeah, we weren't online. We were we were uh, live radio, and then uh, and I was the first overnight um, host. So I, I uh, got a midnight slot to uh, midnight to seven or eight, and sometimes two to eight. And uh, that was that was just an absolute blast, an absolute howl. Uh, you know, doing freeform uh, rock programming in the middle of the night. Um, yeah, candles burning, incense, the great vibe the going on there. Oh, seriously. Had, had one guy come in, one very disgruntled, very drunk, not student, somehow <laughs> get into the, the, so it used to be across the street from the, across the street, across from, in a lobby across from the bookstore. Yeah. In, in, I guess is the Renner building. And, uh. And somehow this guy got in and he, he was not from the call. He was not a student and he was post Bubba's ripped out of his mind. And uh, he was pounding at the glass, trying to get in and screaming at me that he was going to kill me if I didn't play Johnny Cash. And um, so we played Johnny Cash for quite some time. And uh, <laughs> just open him. Go away. I just. I just played lots of Johnny Cash and, and uh, he stopped pounding on the glass. And, uh, and eventually uh, some, some, some nice law enforcement person came in and uh, let him out. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you bring Bubba's up. Any good stories that you'd like to share from, from Bubba's? I, I, I wasn't Bubba's guy, actually. I, 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 I um, took care of a lot of people who were post Bubba's. <laughs> I, I, I uh, my, my medic training came in handy. I, I uh, living in the M, which was really a stumble away from Bubba's uh, on. So people on their way back up the hill, they would have to pass the M on as they kind of stumbled along. More than a few times, I would get a knock on my, on the door to my room and I would open it and someone would fall in face first and uh, just put them in the recovery position and we're all good. So I, 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 I didn't really do Bubba's. I wasn't a, um, a big uh, beer or bar guy. I think so I can probably fall out from being a medic. Move across the street from Bubba's. Any chamber stories you'd like to share? Oh, I just love that place. They, 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 they absolutely treated me like gold. Um, they were so sweet. Uh, would make me a sandwich. Can't even remember what was on it, but they would just make it as I opened the door and a little bell would ring, and my and they'd look. I think it was Bob Chambers at the time looking mm -hmm. back, and he would look. And by the time I'd get to the back of the store, my sandwich would be ready. Yep. And uh, they're just the sweetest, kindest people. And and when you're from when you're far from home, it's so cool to be able to just uh, have people who know you by name. And then, uh, yeah, and then moving up across from the post office, because back then it was a ritual, you know, at lunchtime we would wander to our post PO boxes. Of course, Larry Hummel lived in this house up on the hill right mm -hmm. across from the post office. And um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Hummel stories, but. I've heard a few. Well, so Larry would like, he would sleep on the, he would just go to sleep on the lawn. And then people would call and think that Larry was unconscious or in cardiac arrest. And so we'd get calls for 
her home. And then you get up there and go, oh, Larry. <laughs> he was really kind. I, I talked to Larry a lot, actually. He collected old lawnmowers and old post office Jeeps. And uh, I, he never shared stock tips or anything with me, but he was always very, very nice. And just this, you know, eccentric guy. And for those of you that missed the Jack Hoffman episode where he explained all of Larry's just Everybody thought Larry was just kind of the town. I would say people kind of thought he was like the town bum almost. He, he picked he picked food out of the garbage and he he picked food out of the garbage, man. I mean, he he was the, the first dumpster diver. He would wait until we'd finish our meals in the calf, and then he, and then and then he would go and eat the leftovers off of our trays. Um, when I would get calls for him to be when when he was quote unquote unconscious on the hills, and then he'd sit up and he'd have lunch still on his chin. <laughs> I was like, wait, wait a minute, man, that was my tuna tetrazzini. Was, and then it comes back that the guy was uh, or whoever was investing his money for him because I've heard that part of it too that there was a, it was a joint thing. There were some people that were helping him with his money. Then all of a sudden, you know, you got the Hummel Field House now, and there was a lot of money that was left to the college from a guy that nobody from the looks of it would have said, oh, that's, that's Larry. Yeah, it's funny because he was, he was um, yeah, he was eccentric, but he was, he was kind. I, it, you know, for me, it, it came down to that he was just this kind presence. And uh like when he fits that Bethany mold, he's that like for for a lot of generations, he kind of he's that he's just a very genuinely nice guy. He'd have a conversation with you. He didn't he didn't bother anybody. He just kind of did his thing. And as eccentric as he was, every story I've heard about him is he never had a bad word to say about anybody. And if he did, it was he would say something bad. And then the next time you saw him, it would be, hey, how are you? And good to see you and everything. like yeah, that. No, no, Nothing, nothing ever uh, lasted with with him and then the other the you know, bethany always struck me as it's funny I, I i had the same feeling about other parts of the united states and other parts of canada but it's like, like you were either born in bethany or or you went purposely to bethany it, it wasn't like you could accidentally land in bethany you know and, and and so people like larry who he made his way to bethany purposefully and and maybe it was i i always say that i ended up I went to Bethany. It was about as far as I could be from home um, on multiple levels and still be on the same planet. And uh, yeah, and if, another funny Bethany story that probably people would never be aware of is that, so uh, there, there weren't a whole lot of Jews in uh, Bethany. There were just a few of us. And, th and then there was the Becker family um, Stan Becker was a prof, Stan and Sandra, uh, their kids, uh, Jonathan, who I'm still friends with and who lives in Israel now. And, um, and they would do Friday night dinners, which was really cool. And so they, they, and you didn't have to be Jewish to go, but it was really cool because for me, I would go and I would have Friday dinner and there would be like great political discussions and like really intense conversations. And, uh, and that was just like this phenomenal uh, sense of community. And then, so when I lived in the M, one, it's like, you're not aware that anyone else is aware that you're Jewish. And then one middle of, middle of the night, I wanna say like three in the morning, four in the morning or something, 
there's a pounding at my door at the end uh, uh, and it's too late for anyone falling out from Bubba. So I'm like, what the hell's that? So I answer the door and it's a state trooper. And he's like, are you Hal Newman? And I'm like, yep. And he's like, you need to come with me. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> Thinking this is not going well. And uh, I get in the cage part of the car and uh, we turn on the, he turns on the siren and we're heading towards, we like going down the road and I go, well, where are we going? Cause we're going to wheel. And uh, I'm like, like this is fairly bizarre and so i say officer key tell me what's going on he goes you're a jew right and i'm like uh-oh like in my head i'm like oh no man (laughs) (laughs) oh no this is how it ends this is (laughs) so yeah the punchline being is that a a jewish guy died in in wheeling and, and for to do the prayers for the dead you need 10 jewish men well they didn't have 10 jewish men and they knew that they had one in Bethany, so the cops did mutual religious mutual aid. And they they came out and they got me, so I could go and do prayers for this guy who I didn't know, obviously in Wheeling. And uh, I always thought that I, I thought that was one of the coolest experiences, really, where it's like where you think like you're like like you know, like where's this guy? Where's this ending? This is not going to go well. This doesn't um, sound great to being. You're a Jew, right? And uh, yeah. And you know what? And, and you think about it, and all these years later, I still think it's one of the kindest things uh, that I've ever heard of. And that the local police would care enough to go out and get people so that this family could do their prayers. Absolutely. That's, I mean, again, it goes back to that. If you were at, you, let's say you ended up at UT, that never happened. Happen. That never yeah. happened. Like, frankly, I'm not sure that it would happen in very many places, maybe Israel. I mean, like that, that anyone would care that much, um, you know, and, and, and yeah, I, that's one of my favorite stories, actually. And I think that's probably the first time I've shared that outside of my family, because it's just a really cool story about, uh, you know, caring and bridging cultures and in many ways it's uniquely bethany absolutely i think that's a perfect way to put it and with you saying that uniquely bethany i we've come to that time we're going to pause right now because uniquely bethany we have this store that sits that has been there since 1917 we talked about it earlier chambers general store harry chambers is the owner and proprietor of the store you can get yourself a breakfast sandwich a biscuits and gravy uh soups up until the May, depending on when Harry decides he doesn't want to make soup anymore. Uh, Daily lunch specials. The first Friday of every month is Fish Friday. Uh, And, you know, you can get a dollar. I think it's a dollar 25 now. Dollar sandwich, um, which he makes right in front of you. You can also get the T-shirts, the Bethany or Chambers General Store shirt. If they don't have it, you don't need it. And that's factual. Anybody that's been in that store can tell you that if they don't have it, trust me. And Bethany, you don't need it. Maybe the beer. That might be the only one that people might go, oh. Um, They also have the Shroom Capital of the World shirts. It's the third running of those. Uh, You can get those both in Bethany at Chambers, or you can go on their Facebook page, Chambers General Store. Uh, Call the number. They will mail you you one of your shirts. Um, But we are at that point. I am Carlo Guadagnino. This is the Dingo Talk Alumni Tour. My guest, class of 1985, Hal Newman. And we will be right back, Chuckleheads. 
You're watching another exciting episode of Dingo Talk, recorded deep in a hidden lair in Bethany, West Virginia, where when you visit, make sure you stop by Chambers General Store. Grab one of our hot breakfast sandwiches made fresh all day. Don't forget the biscuits and gravy or one of the daily lunch specials. And if none of that trips your trigger, cold cut sub sandwiches and wraps made fresh all day to your order. Hey, and don't be the only alumni on the block that doesn't have the Chambers, if you, we don't have it, you don't need it, t-shirt or the latest edition of the Bethany, West Virginia, shroom capital of the world in the psychedelic green. Hey, now back to you, Carlo. What's going on, Chuckleheads? I am Carlo Guadalino. This is the Dingo Talk Alumni Tour. My guest this week, Hal Newman, class of 1985. Uh, Hal, we've come to that time, you know, that damn test connects us all as Bethany people, the blue books and the two days and then the orals. Um, we just had a very interesting conversation about what comps meant to you. Uh, not, it was more, you know, see you later. It's time to move on from college. But it was also an opportunity for you to defend what you knew. Why was that important to you? And how did that work later on in life? Yeah, you know, it's, it, it's interesting because at the time, uh, it, for me, comps were like, uh, I was writing the final chapter of my, of my Bethany experience. And so I found it. Uh, it was like this extraordinary challenge where you had to defend what you knew and uh, and how you learned it. And uh, and uh, like I mentioned before, you know, I celebrated with a bottle of Grolsch beer. And um, and for me, in my head, that closed the book, really. Right. You know, and then years later, I mean, decades later, uh, I had a really weird little gig. I've had a spectacularly weird life. And um, I worked for a little boutique firm called Apocalypse Noun. And um, I was tasked with writing uh, basically uh, the scenarios for terror attacks for um, for multiple uh, jurisdictions in the United States. And uh, they were part of Homeland Security and emergency management. And uh, I would, the, the process of doing these scenarios which, which were based on reality and I'd have to go out and do uh, field assessments and uh, kind of like being an investigative journalist for a very small audience and then write the scenario and then I'd have to defend the scenario before they'd have to be greenlit, mm -hmm. uh, greenlit for a, an executive level exercise. And, uh, you know, it was with very high ranking uh, folks in the military. And uh, it brought me back to comps. And it was really interesting. You know, I'd be sitting down and they'd be like, and why are you doing it this way? And, and what brought you to this part? And, and what makes you think that this scenario is plausible? And I'd be like, well, okay, I've been through this in Bethany. And, uh, and I'd be like- <laughs> I got this, give me yeah, a I second. I got this, I got this. I, I, I you know, and I, I'd have to defend, uh, really defend my knowledge and defend how I, how I attained it, where it came from, why I crafted it together. And, and really that was founded on uh, all those years earlier in comps. Mm -hmm. and, and tell you the truth, and those exercise defenses, which were like every two weeks for a couple of years, um, were much tougher than any job interview I had. And, uh, um, and, and that, that came out of comps. And so, yeah, sitting in front of that panel where, you know, I, I, I had to really reach back and go, oh, oh okay, this is what I know. And and, you know, and this is why I know it. And this is how I know it to be true um, at the time. Yeah, it's fascinating. When I think that stays on kind of the, the 
what you the message overall for the show that we've been doing here for a couple about 25 minutes now is that there's certain things uniquely Bethany and comps definitely would be uniquely Bethany because it it makes you think not it's the broader scope but then it's also the bring it in and tell us why don't just tell us that you learned it why did how did you learn it why do you believe that and the defenses of what you've learned and that you know it it's not just regurgitation which i think you've through your the, the resume that i read <laughs> you have used every bit of bethany's calm department and then some other unique things that you have about yourself and that's kind of where we're leading into uh now so i have a couple quotes from some people uh that i wanted to read about you before we get into your life outside of bethany these are two of the these are two quotes that, that came uh as i guess recommendations on your behalf um you are a brilliant engaging optimistic thinker and organizer and you're a creative catalyst natural change agent and strategic thinker now have you do you feel that you've always been that and are those accurate description descriptions of you before we get into your what your life has been since bethany i, I think that's the polite way of saying that i'm a shit disturber um <laughs> who, who, who who's managed to retain my values um so yeah i think it's accurate i, I you know of course it's 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 meant to uh, gain traction on be, on my behalf. So, um, I, you know what? It's it's, it's interesting. Um, I've always had a, a, an enormous difficulty in accepting praise, so I, I'm terribly awkward about that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, there you go. So, 1985, the road out of Bethany. We'll go. We'll come all the way back. 1985, the road out of Bethany. Where is where is the first stop for Hal? Yeah, I went back home to Montreal. Um, went back home, wanted to go into journalism. Um, didn't find any openings in the local market at all. Uh, I, I was fortunate. I always had. Uh, I, I was still a paramedic, so uh, I went back to uh, EMS in in Montreal. It became a just flip back into a full-time existence as a paramedic um, and, and uh, continued doing that uh, while still trying to explore and seeing if I could break into the comm market anywhere. Um, yeah, I, I was completely unsuccessful. I, I did a, a little bit of freelance writing, but uh, um, nothing to distinguish myself by. I mean, honestly, it was pretty crappy writing. And... Uh, <laughs> Hey, I, 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 I'm not sure if my heart wasn't in it or the, you know, it wasn't the right opportunity, but I, I don't have anyone to blame uh, other than myself. Uh, I, I, I wasn't going wholeheartedly. Well, and then you become a director uh, at, at, with the EMS, uh, correct? Yeah. yeah. Uh, further on down the road, um, yeah, I became a director of, a, of, a, of an EMS service in Montreal. Uh, Code St. Luke EMS. I'm glad um, you said that because I looked, I have it written down. I underlined words and the way to say it and it wouldn't have come out the right way. So glad you said it. Yeah, no worries. It, it was a really amazing time, actually. Um, 
I, I before that I had gone to uh, I went to grad school uh, University of Maryland in, in Baltimore. I was a firefighter medic in Baltimore County and then uh, went to grad school didn't graduate actually, which is a kind of a funky weird story in that um, yeah, it's actually a really weird and somewhat emotional story at this point is uh, I, I recently so I, I didn't graduate. Um, I was at the time I was led to believe that that it was uh, I had failed a course and that that was that was the end of the line for me and um, and and that was the end of my program and and the problem for me was I, I was a foreign student and I was running up debt and uh, it was like okay so I packed it up and I headed for home because uh, I just couldn't afford another semester apartment. Uh, uh, full fees because there's there in grad school there's no financial aid so um it was just kind of the end of the line and i came home to montreal and i ended up uh, being the director of an ems service that was uh, extremely innovative mm -hmm. and uh did a whole lot of um my, my team did a whole lot of groundbreaking stuff i i actually uh i kind of threw away the i was the director in title but i i like being uh, known as the coach and um, we did a lot of stuff that's actually changed uh, EMS in Quebec and in Canada. And as um, we sent our medic, you know, it was funny. We, we implemented a lot of Bethany type learning. Uh, we did um, semesters abroad for paramedics. So we sent our paramedics, uh, we sent two paramedics, all expenses paid to Australia for a year so that they could, uh, at the time, South Australia, had a very innovative um, paramedic program that wasn't based on protocols. It was, it was based on uh, clinical decision-making and which was uh, very unusual at the time. And uh, they, they did a lot of peer training. And so we uh, arranged with South Australia and we sent two of our medics there for a year each. In um, the same way they sent two? No, just us. We, 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 no one else was exporting medics. We also sent uh, five or six medics to Baltimore okay, uh, so that they could uh, follow the same type of program that I went through. And then, um, yeah, I was alluding to my unfinished uh, degree. So uh, all these years later, I just recently retired as a medic and uh, um, my daughters that had encouraged me to uh, go back to school. And so I reapplied to, to grad school and uh, so I could finish up these courses. Uh, and then got a hold of my transcript only to discover that I actually hadn't failed my last course. And uh, yeah, I failed to graduate by 0.15 of, of a GPA point. And uh, yeah, if they had given like another assignment or something, I guess I would have had my master's. But yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like it's a test or a paper, like one thing and you're, you're, you're good. Yeah, it didn't pan out that way. So, so I'll give the University of Maryland a lot of credit. And when I asked for my transcript and when they reviewed it with me, they're now, uh, they asked for my CV and uh, everything that I've done in the last 30 years. And now they're reviewing the, the, the process. And I, I don't anticipate that I'm actually going to get my degree, but I, I think it's nice of them to acknowledge that um, for the lack of uh, an extra assignment or something, when they're acknowledging, I mean, a, a mistake on their end. It's not. Well, it, but it's it's, it's, it's not. It's, it's it's not a mistake. Don't don't forget. You know, so it, perhaps they weren't as invested in 
in my degree as I was. So, uh, so their standard was uh, at a 0.15 of a GPA higher than uh, my uh, mm -hmm. cumulative. So it's not a mistake, it's uh, just uh, unfortunate. Uh, but like I said, it's, it's really interesting talking to someone from there who, um, where they've been very, very understanding actually. So I, I don't know that there's gonna be any happy ending on that one, but uh, it's still pretty cool. It's, well, it's great that they're even looking back at it and work, at least trying to work with you on it. Yeah, I think, I think it's nice that, that someone cared enough to, uh, to invest their time 31 years later. So there's two, there's two things that really jumped out from, from looking at your resume. One, you've been from Tennessee to Alaska. And I think that's, and that's not, I'm not saying Tennessee and Alaska. It seems that you have covered a very wide range of in, in your, in, in, um, with your communication specialist and the uh, emergency management uh, procedure that you provide for people. Um, but the two that really jumped out to me that I wanted to ask you about, and I might need help with a, a pronunciation or two. Um, one is the NEMRC. So yeah, let's National start emergency. there. Okay, so it's the National Emergency Management Resource Center. It was uh, started a brick and mortar, as, as many things do, uh, in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, as a clearinghouse for information on making emergency management, uh, emergency preparedness plans fully inclusive. Uh, one of the biggest problems uh, post 9-11 and then post Katrina was that we worked out that our emergency preparedness plans, our evacuation plans uh, weren't fully inclusive. So they didn't, they didn't take into account people with disabilities, people with special needs, people whose first language is in English, people who don't have access to public transit, people who don't have a car. Because if you look at the tri-state, if you look at New York City, tell me how many people have cars? Not a whole lot. Um, you know, it's incredible. It comes out to about 50% of the American population wasn't covered by plans, by emergency plans or uh, things that we take now that we take for granted. But uh, when we started NEMRIC, so signing, uh, ASL interpreters for uh, emergency evacs, they weren't there. Um, one of my close friends who's an emergency planner who's deaf, uh, he was working um, for uh, the Department of Agriculture in DC. And uh, he was in his office and he came out of his office and no one was there. The entire floor was empty. And he was like, wow, did I miss a memo? Did I miss a meeting? <laughs> And then he looked out the window and he saw the smoke and all the fire trucks and all of his colleagues. And uh, of course the building had been evacuated, but there were, there were no, uh, no flashing lights. It was simply an alarm and his door was closed and no one thought to get Bruce. So uh, yeah. So, that's, a big, um, that's a big overlook right there. Just yeah, and so I worked with Nemeric, and I worked um, was a director of Nemeric for a time, and uh, and then and now it's more of a virtual community. It's on Facebook. There's I think about five thousand members who are in the emergency management world, and then um, because of my work, uh, I I was tasked to uh, lead a, a, a team down into Mississippi immediately post Katrina to um, assess. Uh, the impact on the special needs community. There were there were teams, to, um, multiple teams. Mm -hmm. uh, it was the first time that 
that data was uh, gathered in near real time, uh, where an assessment was done uh, immediately uh, post uh, catastrophe. And uh, and for me, that was just uh, that was an incredible experience being in uh, Mississippi. And uh, yeah, Katrina. It, it doesn't do justice um, to talk about it, you know, the descriptions, unless you, you know, I, I tell people when I got there and I, I drove down to Biloxi and it was like, it was like a beaver dam, like, you know, 20 miles, 30 miles inland, 40 feet high. And, uh, you know, I, I remember standing in Biloxi and looking up at, and there was this, the smell of death just wafting through the air. I remember looking up at an apartment building and there was a, I think it was a Cadillac and it was sticking out of the fourth floor out of, out of someone's apartment. And I guess it had been taken up by the wave and, uh, and there was detritus, you know, hanging up on the, like basically 40 feet, like everywhere that you know, it was, um, it was a very interesting experience. It uh, really changed um, my perspective. And uh, I, I found that, um very reassuring to see uh, people helping people if you, you post catastrophe if ever you want your uh, faith restored in humanity you just you need to now i don't recommend wandering yeah <laughs> you're not uh, asking for a catastrophe to happen but but if you do and if you're there it, it, for me uh, i found it um it, it, it really buoyed the spirit you know would go into uh, went to this uh, in Utica, Mississippi, we went into a Jewish uh, sleepaway camp. Um, I remember we stopped at like a fried chicken shack that we got an escort to from, from locals because we were looking for somewhere to eat and there, there was no power or anything. And so these people had a fried chicken shack going. And then they said, and I said, you know, and we told them why we were there. And they said, well, you need to go to this camp. We'll drive you out to this camp. And we got to this camp and there were like semis pulling in from New York reefers, refrigerated trucks. And I was like, what the hell is going on here? And it was a Jewish sleepaway camp that had been converted to um, where they were housing uh, basically hurricane refugees from New Orleans and points south. It didn't care what religion they were, it did not matter uh, with, a, with a, a focus on people with special needs, taking care of them, feeding them, housing them, counseling them, and then they'd converted their buildings into these enormous warehouses. And so these semis were coming in from synagogues and churches from the North, just nonstop, you know? And I was just like, okay, this is cool. This is like off the books, FEMA. This is like, this is otherworldly, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and that was really cool. So the other one that I, and I, I think you, I think you're going to know that I, which it's, uh, <laughs> we're just gonna try this and however okay. badly i butcher the i believe it's french <laughs> we'll, we'll get through that but uh <laughs> maisons des oh maison des spectacles yes that what he said listen to him so how does that come about and what is that so 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 the, this is more bethany connections for you so um Maison des Spectacles or the Stansted House Concerts Network 
Uh, the, so we lived in a town called Stansted, Stansted, Quebec, which uh, uh, a lot of people probably know about only because it's, it's a town that's half in Vermont. So um, the, the border runs right through the town and uh, the, the American side is called Derby Line, Canadian side is called Stansted and the two of them share an opera house called the Haskell Opera House where the stage is in Canada and the seats are in the United States. <laughs> and you, you park in Canada if you're Canadian and you walk into the front entrance in Vermont and uh, it's got special permissions. It was actually built by the, the Haskell family purposefully on the line. So the two communities and the two countries would have to be, would be forced to share it. And we lived in Stansted and Stansted was mm, on its way to being a ghost town. And uh, it, it was really tough. It's uh, sociodemographics were difficult. It was, uh, there was no live music venues, maybe a bar, but um, you know, cover, the, cover bands and, uh, certainly not a family-friendly environment um, yeah. and then for uh, concerts either two and a half hours to the south to Burlington Vermont or two hours north to Montreal but no uh, no no music yeah and um, I, I got it in my head that we would uh, apply there was a program at the time where there were touring artists and I said I'm gonna I'm gonna put our house in and I remember my wife kind of rolling her eyes, like, sure, sure. Like they're going to come to Bethany and they're uh, Bethany. They're going to come to Stansett and they're going to play in our living room. Sure they are, honey. And then uh, I remember I put down like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, and then I, I came in one day and she had her office, uh, her desk in the kitchen. And I put down these CDs and she said, what are that? What are those? And I said, those are the six artists who are going to be playing in our, in our living room. And uh so we started with those six artists and then and we quickly realized that in talking to the artists that um that they're that that the model that the the, the touring model that we had signed into it was still really precarious for the artists in terms of pay mm -hmm. and, and in terms of where they were staying so we created our own model uh, we became a fair trade music venue uh, we became part of the union uh, so we paid union scale. We did a guaranteed payment for the artists. We put them up in local B&Bs. Uh, we fed them properly. Uh, so we featured, uh, you know, local artisan uh, food, uh, local B&Bs, uh, trying to showcase our community mm -hmm. because we're trying to attract artists and, and yeah. people. And, um, and much to our surprise, it, it took off. And I partnered with uh, Paul Kingman, and uh, who I who went to Bethany with me, and then uh, George Manahan, who uh, is down in Charleston, uh, Bobby Caulfield, who's also down in Charleston, and uh, Beth Mejia, who was out in Jersey, and um, we just then we started uh, branching out. We we kind of chose Appalachia as a natural route, um, so that we could route artists and. It's amazing, you know, the more you spend time with artists, the more you get to know the music industry. And uh, so when artists are routing through on a concert tour, let's say they're playing, you know, Boston and Montreal. So they're going to play Boston on a Saturday night and then their next show in Montreal is on a Thursday night. Well, that leaves nights unattended for them that are, that are essentially dead zone. Um, and so we would work. Uh, with their routing to try and get them extra shows or play in our living room, get their laundry done, feed them properly. We would do potluck dinners, uh, put them in a local B&B, 
basically spoil them. And um, yeah, and then uh, we, our, our goal was always focusing on emerging artists. Yeah. Uh, and then the emerging artists we got, they they graduate, right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they, they do their they own They go version. from emerging to there. <laughs> right, and they, you know, and they, yeah, they, they do their own comps. And, and so, uh, so in many ways, the house concerts are kind of a comps uh, in terms of it allows them to hone their, their skills in a live music. Uh, when you're playing for 50 people, it's extremely intimate. Mm -hmm. so so if you do not have your shit together as a performer that is a bad place to be yeah like you, you can't run out of material you're no. like like people are close enough that they can hey man i can scratch your nose um <laughs> and uh you know and, and artists get to play in their socks and they they uh and then our model included a potluck dinner so they would actually meet the audience right beforehand that's, and that's then it, 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 with it, everyone right and then, and we, we started getting some really intense artists, actually. We had a, a band from Montreal, uh, John Jacob Magistry, who uh, they played a show on a Saturday night for like 27,000 people in downtown Montreal. And then on Sunday, they played in our living room for 40. And, uh, <laughs> and they were like really cool with it. And um, so we, we had a lot of Australian artists. Mm -hmm. um, and, and who have become friends and we've had uh, some national singer songwriters up and uh yeah hoping actually to take that into bethany now so we we had discussed that a little bit yeah. <laughs> um so there's a couple people that you've worked for and worked with or or had the opportunity to meet we when we first talked last week um i know that you you spent some time in alaska with, with sarah palin and the palin campaign and whatnot I know that you, from our discussion, you you uh, have worked for the previous four administrations, or I'm, I'm, I'm omitting one of them, but there's four administrations that you work that you've worked with. Um, but you also there was a uh, there was a dinner reception with Condoleezza Rice, uh, Doctor. Yeah, it wasn't actually a dinner reception. It was um, it was really cool. It was. Um... It was her. It was her first state visit to, to Canada, mm -hmm. and um, so they, they arranged for. Uh, there were several Canadians who we we had been uh, part of the Katrina relief, and uh, so they had us meet uh, Condoleezza Rice getting off her plane, which was just wild, and uh, having a reception. Yeah, it was just insane in Ottawa. Uh, she was so nice, and I was so taken aback. And uh, my my girls a little picture and like you know and I, I i remember thinking like you know i'm gonna give this to Condoleezza rice and she's gonna be like yeah whatever but you know, i'm gonna put that up in my plane you know and like the, the kindest it's funny because you, you you like in in my role you get to meet a lot of uh, uh politicians mm -hmm. and, and there's a lot of glad handing and and uh some it's rare the the genuine but uh, she was genuinely kind. It's like it's funny. I have a picture somewhere of me with her, and, and uh, I don't really put anything up on my walls uh, from my from my career. Uh, but I kept that picture. It's not on a wall, but I, I kept it. Um, and then, what was so? So she was very nice. What was it like working with Sarah Palin? 
are just a wonderful, I, I, it's, a, it's a funny story. She was a very kind person. Um, and uh, yeah, and I, you know, I made fun of her relentlessly uh, during the entire uh, campaign. And um, was this before went, or after she went in her backyard and could see Putin? Yeah, I don't know. That was so. Actually, and at the time, so so you know, just to make fun, things even funnier or or weirder, uh, Diane, my wife, uh, has has more than a passing resemblance to Tina Fey, who at the time, of course, was busy imitating Sarah Palin. Um, yeah, I made fun of Sarah Palin relentlessly, and then Sarah Palin who's a, a mom of a special needs child, um, you know, arranged for an emergency management team specializing in, um, in, in creating plans for um, fully inclusive plans to ensure that uh, people with special needs were included. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I, yeah, somewhere I have great pictures from her office and, uh, and I went to her inaugural ball, her inaugural party, actually. So they do, I had an invitation to one of the Obama inaugural balls, which was really cool. But I got to tell you, so Sarah Palin, that was one hell of a party in June. <laughs> uh, Them people in Alaska know how to party, huh? <laughs> they did. They, they don't do the formal ball. There was like, you know, like check your mucklucks at the door, folks. Um, <laughs> but, but it was one hell of a party. Um, and I think that was like kind of an important lesson also for me, uh, you know, so you judge people by what you see on a, uh, on a national stage, on, mm -hmm. on, on how they're spun, on uh, how they're portrayed in the media, and then you meet them. I mean, I, I would say that everybody I work with in Alaska were, were staunch Republican, um, like, like Reagan, Reagan Republican, and, uh, and and I remain very close with them. Um, it, it never, the politics never divided us because we were united to do something that, that needed to be done, that should have been done. Actually, by the way, while I'm, so if anyone ever wants to do something really cool, when you're, when cruises become a thing again, and you get up to Ketchikan, Alaska, because all of the inland cruises stop uh, when they're going up the interior passage of Alaska, you'll stop in Ketchikan. Um, so all of the shops down where the cruise ships get off, those are actually all owned by the cruise line. So ask a local where the local shops are. The locally owned uh, artisans have their stuff and go there. Um, Don't go to the cruise liner places, go to the locals. Yeah, go to the locals. Yeah, go to the locals. Go go and ask to see a, a baseball game in Ketchikan. They play on a dirt lot. Uh, yeah, I mean seriously. You know, it's funny. We were talking before about the Hall of Fame. Yep. Yeah, Cooperstown. They they should do a game up in Ketchikan. These kids, they play. They have a, an incredibly short season. They're. Uh, you know, their season is punctuated by uh, when fishing season's in. These kids schools actually let out so these kids can go out on their family boats because that's how their their parents earn their living mm -hmm. um and then they have this ridiculously short season and they play on a on a, a dirt lot and they play competitive ball i mean it's like it's like field of dreams baseball in in like this terrible 
beat up park. Uh, so yeah, so the next time you're on a cruise and you got to catch a can, you go, you could go to a baseball game. You gotta go to the locals, speak to a local, and ask where the local. And if you run into a guy named Dave Timmerman, tell him Hal sent you. I, Dave Timmerman. For all of you going to Alaska, you got to find Dave Timmerman. That's my goal for all of you. There you go. Um, so you you pointed out how you know, you see these people, how they're portrayed, and how they're you know they're they're Sarah Palin, for example, was showcased as as not intelligent, and the, she's she sits differently from where you sit politically, but that wasn't an issue. That goes farther when you realize that you have worked for, you know, Bush one, Clinton, Bush two, and then Obama. I mean, you're talking the, the Republican Party and the Bushes and then the Democratic Party in the in Bill Clinton and, and, and Barack Obama. What were those experiences like? Work for their administration. And, and the reality is, is um, my focus is on emergency management. So it really matters not. Um, Who's, who's running the White House. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the focus is always on people. And, and the people who are tasked, like I, I've never gotten into the politics on the Hill. I have no idea how it, well, I know how it operates, but it's not it's not my world. Yeah. Um, the, the politics of the people I work with, my, my closest friends, uh, our politics are, are wildly different. I, you know, I'm part of a little group on, on Facebook. There's just three of us, and we, and and we talk every day. We're emergent, like very seasoned emergency managers. And um, one guy's slightly Republican, and the other guy's extremely Republican. And there's me. And you know, we're we're just entirely focused on uh, getting. You know, when you identify a task, especially in emergency management, you're trying to mitigate disasters for people. So I don't really care what your politics are. And the truth is, is like, you could be waving the stars and bars in my face and again, I'll find that offensive, but but it's not going to prevent me from helping you. Mm -hmm. And and, and my experience, like in Mississippi, like I've been everywhere in the States and I've never been treated badly. Um, And People are up front with, I, I love, uh, like in Mississippi, being told I was a damn Yankee by someone, which was really funny because it was based on my accent. And uh, I said, I'm not a Yankee, I'm Canadian. And How just, wrong are you, guy? He just burst into hysterics. And he was like, no, no, he goes, it means you're from the North. And he goes, I'm, I'm going to have to revise that. And uh, <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> I just think that, my experience has been that no one cares. They, they, you know, it's funny. Um, like I'm on Twitter. I'm very active on Twitter, and uh, but it, but it can be such a such a cesspool. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, out in reality, no one cares. You know, paramedics. No one asks you, uh, did you vote blue? Did you vote red? No, just don't care. No, your job is there to save someone or to give them whatever it, it the... Be caring, caring is, 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 sorry, I always like to say that caring and saving aren't mutually exclusive. And, and, that, and that's a Bethany, uh, learned in Bethany. Um, you know, goat in the house experience. Yeah. But it, yeah, I mean, like all the people uh, that I learned from, my, my mentors in the Bethany Fire Service, 
I'm fairly certain they didn't have the same political views as me, but they were my closest friends. So, so I also have to ask, because uh, I had I had Frank Calabrese on uh, yeah. a couple months back, um, and I noticed there's a similarity between you and Frank, um, and it, it's the dark, <laughs> Dr. Martin Luther King Legacy Award for Humanitarianism. And so can you walk me through that? Yes. Did Frank win that too? That's awesome. Frank, so it was 1994. I, I'm 94, 95, somewhere in there. It was, I wow, believe, is what is he said. So cool. So um, you're my second. And I need, and you know, with it being Frank, sometimes Frank, Frank tells a story and you got to double check it and triple check it, but that checked out. And now I want to hear it from the other side, somebody else that was, a, uh, and I don't want to say you weren't, you, you didn't win it. It was, it was awarded to you in the sense of your humanitarian work. Yeah, it was, it was actually post Katrina for, for the work I did in Mississippi. And, uh, um, it was uh, Martin Luther King Jr. is like my, my all-time hero. So um, it was just this beautiful ceremony. I got to take my, it was at, um, so Montreal uh, celebrates Martin Luther King Day, mm -hmm. um, uh, which is interesting because there are some American cities that don't. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> won't go there. There you nope. go. Uh, um, Not touching that one. <laughs> so so, so uh, there was a reception at City Hall and I got to go with my with my family. And uh, it was really cool actually. And I got the award and uh, Reverend Gray was presenting and, and uh, I remember him saying, he said, so I, he said, uh, I asked them, so who's this guy? Who, who's this like young African Canadian guy who won this award? And they went, oh, he's actually a Jewish white guy. Um, and, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, it was honestly, it was just one of the coolest things that's ever happened to me. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll get all emotional, I'll start crying, so I'll just leave it at that. Um, it's, it's a really, uh, it's, it's something. So before I get into the last two questions, we have exchanged a couple emails. And right. I notice at the bottom of your email, it says... Practice big medicine. Right. Can you explain? I, and there is an explanation, but for those people that aren't privy to my email or that have not received an email from you, why is that your message at the end of your emails? Practice big medicine is really my way of saying it's uh, the, the right person working on the right thing at the right time uh, together will be big medicine. And it's kind of my take on, uh, there's a, a, a Swahili uh, message called Saubona, mm -hmm. um, which is, I, I see you, uh, I, I see you, I see your good work. So if we were to, if, if, it means, I see you, Carlo, I, I see everything that you do. I see what you bring to the world. I see what you bring to the community. Uh, so that's, I say, be well, practice big medicine. and. It's funny because so Desmond Tutu just passed away. And um, so I had this understanding of Saubona, but I wasn't sure. And this was back in the days before email. So I wrote to Desmond Tutu, I wrote him a letter and I said, uh, Archbishop, I'm a, do I have this right? 
and, and he wrote back and uh, yeah, and uh, he said, indeed, uh, indeed, indeed you do. And, uh, and, and it's a way of saying, rather than just saying hello, it's a way of recognizing, so, so recognizing what you bring. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that like, we don't do that enough. Like, like we just don't, we, we, we do a lot of, hey, how's it going? We don't really give a crap, how's it going? We just say, hi, how's it going? And I like, I like the idea that we pause to consider someone else. Yeah. You know, it's too bad because he's, he's not around here and so you can't interview him, but so Ace, uh, Ace Hayward. Yes. So uh, Ace used to say that you should always carry uh, two stones with you. Well, one for you and one to give to someone. Like, and it's the same concept. It's like, I, I, I see you, man. Mm -hmm. Thank you. You're, I have these two lucky stones and one's for you. And uh, Ace really inspired the crap out of me. He, he was, a, he was a really a special human being. I, I always thought that, that uh, it was a missed opportunity for Bethany. I always thought that they should have had Ace come and give a speech at commencement. And, and maybe even teach a freshman seminar on, on uh, how to be an ace, how to be, um, you know, how to be part of the community, be a coach, how to see others. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And ace so, was, I mean, he was the glue that really held. I actually just talked to a, a soccer alum uh, about a week ago. And that was one of the things that he referenced was that ace for what Bethany, as as good as Bethany soccer has been, and the and the camaraderie that's in those teams, the one connecting piece for every group was Ace. And with Ace's passing, it seems that you know the groups have have fluctuated a little bit, but there's still that because of Ace, there's still that group in the soccer alumni specifically with Bassa and and the way that they are is to keep him alive by keeping the traditions of the soccer family alive. And, and I think that's a real testament to who he was as a person. Yeah. He was, um, he was an interesting cat and he, even while he was, uh, even while he was busy dying, actually, um, he, you know, he would reach out, he would reach out to me and say, how's it going, man? Are you doing okay? I'm like, I'm like, dude, you're in Moffat. Are you okay? Yeah, he isn't. Well, he wasn't. He was in Moffat Cancer Center, and uh, you know, turned for the worse. And and he'd be like writing or calling. You doing all right, Hal? Man, I'm worried about you. I mean, that's that's big. That's special. That's a special human. Right. And I, I, I yeah, I maintain Bethany. It, it's a missed opportunity that they, they should actually have an ACE scholarship. That's not. Uh, purely soccer based mm -hmm. that, that, that talks about like maybe Kalon uh, should be like the, the Hayward um, award. Well, so we've come to, we, as we came back to Bethany, uh, we have our last two questions. One, if you were from, from the out, from an alumni point of view, but the outside perspective, cause you're not here on the day to day and none of us are, I mean, I live in Bethany and I don't live the day to day of Bethany. Um, what would you say the brand is of Bethany College? 
Um, I'm not sure what the brand is now. Well, what was the brand when you got there? Yeah, I think it was the, I always found it interesting that the, the, the brand that they reached for was a was small college of distinction at one time. I thought that that was pretty cool. Uh, for me, it was the, the, the inter, it was this. Bethany was a quilt and I feel like that was the brand. It, 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 it allowed students to uh, bring together elements of the community with the college. Um, it, for me, it eliminated barriers. It threw a, an eclectic student, a student mix together. And, and you know, we talked about this, uh, I alluded to, to this uh, um, before, you know, how the, the US is kind of like this melting pot. Everybody comes in with their different cultures and they go in and they come out in American. Yep. And um, in Canada, we're a little bit more like a mixed salad and um, we, we retain our, our own crunchy little flavors. Um, and, and I found that Bethany was like this funky mix of that. So, so you came out a Bethanian, but you retained your own flavor. There was no, no pressure to, uh, no one was pressuring you to be molded into something. Mm -hmm. um, there, there was this feeling that uh, we were extraordinary, which is really interesting because when you left there, you felt like you, you accomplished something extraordinary. It was really cool. Like, like yeah. You know, um, and, it's, and all these years later, you know, now people, uh, they, they want that type of experience, an extraordinary experience, uh, you know, experiential, uh, they, an immersive and that's what Bethany was for me. It was like this, uh, an immersive experience. You were dipped in Bethany and uh, you, it was an extraordinary chapter in my life. What it is now, I, I, it's not, I don't feel it's appropriate for me. Uh, I, I'm grateful for that slice of life. It was, mm -hmm. it was phenomenal. Um, but it's not my slice of life anymore, right? Like, yeah. So, the, so there's, you know, so you went through and you had your slice, and, and now there are students there, and it's their experience. I like, I don't have any right to impose on them, so I don't know what their experience is for the brand. So, and the, to leapfrog off of that, the last question that I that that we normally ask, um, if you were talking to someone. Uh, prospective student, you know, it's a, they're a senior in high school, or maybe somebody in your situation graduated from high school and decided I'm going to go do this for a little bit. But they also have that, well, maybe I want to go to college. How would you recruit someone to come to Bethany? Yeah, that's that's uh, politically loaded for me at this point. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, well, until I see their strategic plan, I, I wouldn't feel uh, appropriate recruiting anyone. I, I'd, I'd like to know where Bethany's going. Mm -hmm. So um, there, there's this oft-mentioned strategic plan. I feel like I have an obligation at this point to, uh, because I, I, I'm an alum or, or I had this Bethany experience. Um, there's a guy named Mark Helm. Hey, Mel. And, uh, and, and I, I was ready to pack it in uh, over the recent discussions and politics and I was just ready to run screaming. And, and Mal over the years has always talked me off the ledge. He, mm -hmm. he has this gift. And he's like, Hal, come on, dude, come back in. Um, and like Mal says, we, we have an obligation to help the current students and, and, this, and, and recent alums find their way. 
And that's where I see my obligation. In terms of recruiting people to the school, I wouldn't feel comfortable. I'd want to know where's Bethany going? Mm -hmm. um, what's it going to be? I, I, I don't like, like if, if you told me tomorrow, like if they say, oh, it's, it's, it's going to change its vocation. It's, it's going to be a hybrid, you know, uh, learning center, adult learning, um, you know, not just purely a four-year college uh, might have some certificates. That would be fine. Because I understand where they're it, going, it, right? It needs to have a pathway to survival. I just want to know before. So I'm 61, going on 62, and I feel like I don't want to marry my brand, my values, to something that I don't know. Well, so let me let me pivot off of that because I think you brought up a really good point. What do you feel the as an alum myself and, and, and for the alums that I've had on the show and the alums that I'm going to try to recruit, you said that you feel that your, your responsibility as an alumni is to make these connections with Bethany students that are on their way out to get them the connections that they need. I mean, you and I have talked now for the last two weeks about, you know, it's all about connections. I had homework before we did this and I have my homework there. What what do you think that could look like if the alumni come in as a, as a, as a whole, because we have a, a large group from all different aspects. Right. Well, let's talk about like that homework assignment. So the homework assignment Carla is referring to is that I said, go on to my LinkedIn profile, uh, become one of my connections, then go through my LinkedIn network of connections, pick 10 people you want to be introduced to, and then I'll help you connect the dots. Uh, it, it, it's that simple. I mean, it could be just pick these people. Yeah, and, 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 and frankly, and I don't know, you know, it pisses me off that, that we're not more aggressive as alums. This is on us to, to help. So, so I asked Carlo, I, I won't mention any, any names, but, um, you know, it's like, are you getting doors open? And people are like, you know, just keep plugging. Folks, just keep plugging. I mean, we've all been there. It sucks. It, it absolutely sucks trying to pry open a closed door. And, and it, if an, as an alumni, if we can help, if we've got the magic combo, we have the key, we can get the door open. So if I can get a door open for Carlo, yeah, then it's up to Carlo to make his case. But open the damn door, people. And, and, and it was always explained to me that you climb the ladder, you reach back. Mm -hmm. you don't sever the, the rung below you so that the next person can't get up. And I feel like we have this amazing network of alums, friggin' creative. Uh, there's some like bona fide geniuses, um, people who've done exceptionally well um, and well, not because they have fancy titles or they made big bucks. Uh, people who have made enormous differences to their community we have several journalists who are just absolutely incredible. You know, people who have really gone out and changed life. Mm -hmm. And and so they have all these connections. It was funny because one of the people who commented was um, Peggy, who I went to school with. And she said, you know, I'm a retired teacher and I don't live in the same state where I worked. And I'm not sure how much use I would be in, mm -hmm. in helping connect the dots. And, and I, I wrote back and I said, you have this wonderful network of contacts. 
I'm sure you can open the door. Um, I, I think that that uh, goes, sorry, and I'm just gonna segue into this is that one of the things that I loved about Bethany when Bethany launched me out there was there wasn't an emphasis on what title I would get or how much money I would earn. Uh, unfortunately, as an alum, that became the emphasis when I reached back to Bethany over the years. Uh, can you write us a check? No, actually, I can't write you a check. I'm, I'm supporting my own family and my own kids. Um, but I got these great connections. Could we do something? Yeah, no, we don't have time for that. Um, so it's like, let's use that. Mm-hmm. Like, like, So let's use our connections. Let's do stuff. Let's make it happen. Well, Hal, I think that's a perfect place for us to uh, to wrap up. I want to thank you very cool. much for being a part of the show. Before I wrap up, is there anything that you would like to to end on, or are you good with with that ending right there? I'm good. I, you know, thank you. I mean, this is really cool. Thanks, thanks for the opportunity. It's like a privilege for me. <laughs> well, I appreciate you. Actually. I appreciate you and everybody, any all the other alumni that have taken the time to come on. And tell their stories about not only oh, oh, their wait, Bethany wait, wait. I have a, I have one thing, Carlo, and, and like you're gonna have to leave this in. So, okay. All right. Okay. So here's the deal. So, unbelievably, Carlo does not get paid by the college for doing these. Uh, how many shows have we done? Uh, when this comes out, it'll be 106 or 107. Uh, and how many of those uh, 106, 107 shows are alums? Over 100? 90, it'll be 94, 92, because there's eight coaches before that. So here's my deal, guys. So, so Carlos, uh, is into, Carlo has interviewed uh, roughly 95 alums who uh, we reminisce uh, about our time at Bethany. And then we talk about life after Bethany. And uh, personally, I think Bethany ought to hire Carlo and, uh, and use these um, podcasts and videos as a means of uh, building the brand. And beyond that, I think that the 90 folks, 90 odd folks that came before me, Carlo has a tip jar um, and that it behooves us, you know what? If, if it doesn't matter if it's 25 bucks, um, you know, it helps independent journalism costs. And uh, it costs to have someone uh, sp- invest the time to do an interview like this. And uh, we need to take care of our own. So, Carlo, after I'm done with this little blurb, uh, please put your PayPal link up at the end of my interview. Okay. I- I will do so. Thanks, brother. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, everybody. I appreciate you for that. I really do. Um, well, I, I am Carlo Guadagnino. This is the Dingo Talk Alumni Tour. My guest, class of 1985, Hal Newman. Um, you can find us on Instagram. It's dingo underscore talk. Find us on Twitter. It's at dingo talk. You can find us on TikTok. It's at dingo talk. We are now on Apple Podcast and Spotify as well as YouTube. Um, so if you don't have the ability to listen or you know book, book out an hour to where you can li- watch, you can now listen while you're on your way into work or because I know a lot of people have done that. Um, just type in Dingo Talk and we'll be there. 
We're there every Thursday. Uh, the Spotify gets updated about an hour after the show comes out, uh, just for the way that we're uploading right now. Um, but we'll be back next Thursday. Hal Newman, class of 1985. Thank you again for taking time up there in Quebec. And I make sure I say Quebec for those of you that don't understand. It's not Quebec. It's Quebec. They don't say and they, and he doesn't say a boot. I, we, we talked about that before the show in, in Montreal, they don't say that goofy a boot thing and they say roof, right? So Hal, thank you. And uh, chuckleheads, we will see you next week.